Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, joined as always by Ann Thompson, and we ended last week on a cliffhanger with you on your way off to Sundance, something that nobody's been able to say in over two years, but to the Sundance Director's Sundance. Lab. I was in my little cabin at, yeah, during exactly. the podcast. You're heading into the, the lab at the Institute, and we were so absorbed with the question of what was going to happen there, I neglected to mention that here in New York, we actually did have a film festival going on, which was Tribeca, and as we're recording, it's, it's winding down, so what well, do you what want to seen? know? What have you seen? Anything interesting? I mean, I've, I've seen that we've been reviewing some things. I mean, I always think of Tribeca, this is a horrible thing to say, as having the leftovers from Sundance. Well, this has always been a fascinating challenge for the festival circuit. I mean, when Tribeca launched in, you know, 2000, after 2001, it chose this spot in April, which is a few months after Sundance a month after South by Southwest and then right before Cannes. So that's a very tricky time in terms of the launch pad. And over time, it has developed into a pretty good place at, for certain docks that are looking to be launched, especially as the dock market accelerated. But it's a big, big events festival. And last year, they took the word film out of uh, their name. And I think that's sort of epitomized where the priorities are, which is with the events, with the spectacle of the event, much more than the films themselves. Sometimes there are really good films there. I will say it's been harder for a lot of them to stand out and, and publicists have been complaining a lot that it's been harder to get media coverage because the festival chose to move into June, uh, which it did out of necessity last year with COVID delays and then just decided to like plant its flag as a summer festival. It's just a really hard time. I mean, I was in Cannes getting emails about Tribeca and, you know, we were surviving on four or five hours of sleep and, and working constantly, not a good situation for thinking ahead in that respect. But I did make time to see a few things. Uh, the opening night film is already on Netflix. That's the Daylo documentary halftime. And she came out to the festival to, to launch that. It's a Netflix movie. And uh, if you are uh, still wondering whether or not JLo was sad that she got snubbed for uh, Hustlers, uh, she was very She's still sad. sad. <laughs> you get the full details I there. I called that one right away that there was no way they were going to give that to her. It was a bit, it's sort of a strange centerpiece for to build a narrative around that. I mean, I, I what I what reason would there be that for not giving it to her other than the fact that it wasn't that great a movie and and she was very good in it, but it wasn't an she Academy was style film. I I mean, I I think on some level that. I don't know if that gives it enough. She credit. was in I the running. She probably film. was in sixth place. Or yeah. Seven. What you see in the documentary is that she seemed very bummed out when she lost the globe and that the momentum maybe stalled a bit there. So it made me think, well, did she also maybe lose a bit of momentum as a campaigner at that point? as well? But but the point really is, you're not to supposed to ask for these things. You're not supposed to want them. 
And you're much, much you better off waiting but, to see what comes to you. You can campaign, you can do what you have to do to support the work. But if you're, if you're counting on something, then if you don't get it, you're going to be bitterly disappointed. Yeah. And I think perhaps she was too overly invested in the narrative of this. I mean, the, the, this, the documentary builds around two sort of moments. One is the Oscar nomination morning. And the other is that the Super Bowl is coming up. And so she has these two sort of platforms of sorts. And I, and I think there's something sort of naive about feeling like the Oscar nomination was such a, you know, major kind of target for her because at the end of the day, it was a supporting actress nomination in a crowded field and there are so many other factors in play and the golden globe nomination itself you know given what happened to the hfpa yeah, like a like year after cares? that this, this documentary that doesn't a sound little dated, a little yeah. dated but that's not all it's about it's also about that halftime show and that she wasn't thrilled to share the stage with shakira and that the nfl didn't want her to put uh have the symbolic kids in cages and again when i was watching this i was thinking it would have been nice if she talked about this stuff publicly two years ago because this she's is all very about, narcissistic. As it's far narcissistic, as I'm and, and and it's a hagiographic. It sounds like a vanity J Lo project. Hundred percent. And you know what? It played fine on opening night because J Lo was there and because the sponsors were there. And that's well, it's the very New York. She's a local girl, and, and that's the go. point about Tribeca. Tribeca is a local festival. It plays for folks in New York, and yet it's not and really. It uh, doesn't have a national imprint. It doesn't have an impact on much a few docs come out of there um and that's about it so i saw a few things that are worth talking about beyond this j-lo thing uh andrew bujowski made a really cool movie during the pandemic called there there um bujowski is not um to all tastes but to me i find him to be a remarkably kind of subtle filmmaker who's all films are all about the kind of the complexities of communication results funny haha computer chess they're, they're just really interesting kind of deep dives into the way people talk. And he made this movie that's, every scene is two people in a room together. Uh, there's an opening scene with um, Letty James and uh, Lily Thomas that's a sort of pillow talk. And uh, they were never in the same room together. And in fact, nobody in the movie was ever in the same room together. They shot one actor at a time over the course of six months. And it's a really cool kind of cinematic experiment. Very lo-fi. I wish it had a better platform to get out there, but somebody will probably buy it. Um, and then I went to a great VR project that Terrence Malick produced, which uh, you certainly wouldn't see in a lot of festivals because it required a big room uh, with people wearing clunky VR headsets walking around. But it was actually a very cool experience. You might have liked it. And I did it with a group of four people, one of whom was Mary Heron, and she had a really good time. Uh, you're basically inside a uh, human body seeing uh, perspiration come to life around you. It's pretty trippy stuff. So keep an eye out for that one. The last uh, time I did one of those was was the Inuritu, which I, which right, I remember Carnegie really liked. This is not on that level, but it's a similar kind of, a, they call it room scale, where you can kind of roam around. So these projects are always worth tracking one way or the other. But I guess that's that's basically it for, for my Tribeca experience. I didn't see the award winners. Um, there's some docs I've heard about that are quite good, but I, I just didn't. I mean, the other part of it is when you are in the industry and this is happening in your hometown is that there's lots of other stuff going on. There's films opening and so forth. And so, you know, got pulled in a few different directions. And in the meantime, seeing seeing new releases. And I think we have a good opportunity this week to kind of line up on a few things that have opened in the last few, because as we've been running around and doing things, we never really got a chance to talk about a couple of relatively significant streaming releases 
uh, for the summer season. So why don't we start with Hustle? Yeah, yeah. So I caught up with that and uh, enjoyed it thoroughly. And I was I was looking at the fact that Netflix is is kind of pushing Adam Sandler as as a would be actor Oscar candidate. And I was thinking about why they released it now, why they didn't take it into any theaters, uh, into any um, festivals. Festivals, And I, uh, and and what struck me is that they did exactly what they should have done with it. You know, it's doing very well. It's getting really upbeat reviews, the kind of reviews that critics give something with low expectations. (laughs) In other words, you have Adam Sandler, low expectations, right? Even if even if he did really well with Uncut Gems and the Safdie brothers. So he's continuing to do well, but this isn't one of the great movies of all time. If it were in a festival context, it would be critically um, judged in a different way. I think and it would. It would I think be it wouldn't make it as an Oscar movie. In no, it would be context. treated as a, as, a, as a commercial movie, though, and, and it isn't yeah. really a festival movie. But it, it is so rare that it, when, when Adam Sandler does something that isn't the kind of goofy Adam Sandler thing, people pay closer attention. And I think he's actually very good. He's excellent. He's, really good he's excellent. He plays here. a good character role. He's playing a, I, I enjoyed the movie. I enjoy baseball anyway, and basketball too. I, I, I don't mind sports movies. Uh, this is, and the, you know, they use a lot of cameos from a lot of uh, Most, established they're all real ball basketball players. I mean, players. Yeah. So I enjoyed exactly. that. I loved, I, I loved this guy who was the lead, who had a certain danger about him Wancho. an unpredictable, yeah. volatile quality that I I thought worked Although really someone well. pointed out to me, he's not like in reality the most amazing basketball player for the Utah. Oh, is that Dad. true? So, so there was an acting. The thing. more you uh, know about basketball, it sounds like the more holes you can kind of poke in this. Like a guy that good who sort of he Adam Sandler discovers him on the streets of Spain while out and about. It's like doing well, pickup games, why, hustling. Yeah, basically, why wasn't somebody that good already in Spanish leagues? I don't know, whatever. They I come will up say, with a story for that. Yeah, it is worth looking at who directed this movie, which is Jeremiah Zagger, who did this beautiful film, We the Animals, that was a Sundance breakout a few years ago. Not who you would expect to take on something like this, but on some level, it is a very well directed movie. I mean, a lot of the action, a lot of the ba- basketball action. Is very That's well the best stuff. I would say that the the problem with the movie is more the screenplay. It has it it, it hits. It's a, it's a very mainstream hit the nail on the head. I was I was being very obnoxious as I was watching it. I was calling. Okay, they're gonna do a Rocky sequence now, and they we really did a Rocky, Rocky sequence. They call it, it out though. It's it wasn't so no. It wasn't just a little homage. It was a total out and out rip off Rocky. You know, it went on for a long time, and I was sort of shocked by that so so they were shameless they were going for uh, an accessible kind of a mainstream movie and knock it nailing every point down uh, so it, it lacked subtlety as far as I'm concerned but I think what's really interesting about this movie coming out especially given all the troubles Netflix has had in the past year is that it is an extremely watchable accessible movie that a couple of decades ago would have been a traditional commercial theatrical movie but these aren't studio studios don't make these kinds of It's a of little small. Anymore. It's a little small for that and it's a little unoriginal for that. That's what Netflix can get away with. Is so in other words this wouldn't pass muster as a theatrical release in the, in the real world. Too slight perhaps. It's but too it, familiar. But it, and the but critics again, would I mean, kill it. It's got the it's got the NBA hook and it's got And then the Sandler. other thing that I hated, 
the uh, well that's true they could have exploited that in the marketing but it, the other thing i didn't like was the family the queen latifah queen latifah family it was it was really um one of those situations where you didn't buy it you didn't believe it it, it was it was it was not um um a real family well the family thing is sort of that's where a, a big part of the formula kind of kicks in is you know how did the family get this way what is his whole history and then of course you get to a moment where you get the whole backstory that kind of explains why things are hard for this recruiter basically and, and his own you know kind of ambitious career and why that fell apart and this is his second chance yada 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 but there's a shot of adam sandler's face towards the end when he's watching a guy walk through an airport without spoiling anything too much that I thought was really good acting. Like I was just looking at Sandler and I was like, he's as good as he's, he's a, ever been. He's a really he's good actor. Drunk love. Yeah. He's yeah. a very good actor. And I thought he was excellent in this. The and best now thing with about the, it. You know, these stirrings of, 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 you know, hints that he might do another Safdie movie. I think the, I don't know what, what the status of that Netflix deal is that he has, but it is kind of fascinating how it has kind of kept him in the pop culture consciousness with goofy Adam Sandler movies, but that those goofy Adam Sandler movies create these little pockets of time where every now and then he can remind us that he has skills beyond that. It's just most people want the goofy Adam Sandler stuff. So they kind of exist in the same, they're, they're complementary to each other in a way. Yeah, yeah, no, so. yeah, it, it's, 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 it was, uh, it was okay. And then uh, Fire Island, I caught up with and, you know, I love Jane Austen, everybody loves Jane Austen. And it was fun to see that the, the various uh, tropes adapted to a gay weekend. <laughs> In, in in Fire Island. And I have, of course, I come from New York, so I spent many happy summers on Fire Island. So I go there every summer. And fun I, and to I, see I, that. I don't hang out in the pines like these folks, but I've done a lot of time in Cherry Grove with a more kind of like mixed crowd of gay and straight. And, and it was weird because so many spots they go to are familiar to me. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's a, it's, it's really, a really good sort of encapsulation of the strangeness of that place, this kind of gay paradise of sorts which is a really good setting for a rom-com hugely entertaining and the two leads are really delightful and fun to watch fun to look at and um but at the same time it was deliriously shallow uh there there was <laughs> there was no subtext there was no depth it was it was just fun well i think what i appreciate about it and there are other people i've talked to who have a deeper understanding of this but you know there's a huge genre of LGBTQ independent films that travel the festival circuit that are not particularly good. That's just been an issue for a really long time. And this is a very polished piece of filmmaking. Andrew Ahn is a good filmmaker who hasn't made something quite on this level. So it feels like a crossover for him, for Joel Kim Booster, who's sort of a rising stand-up comedian. This is kind of his break. He has a this new is a breakout on, for him. And he's, he's got very a new good. stand-up on, on Netflix too. So it's really... You know, and then obviously Bo and Yang's star gets bigger and bigger all the time. Absolutely. I, I did appreciate seeing a very kind of formulaic rom-com that was entirely through a queer gaze with um, Billy Eichner's movie Bros coming out this fall. That's a big studio movie. Judd Apatow produced it. You know, I do feel like the Fire Island may be sort of the start of something. And it's a, obviously a good film for them to come, out, come, to come out in Pride Month. I'd be curious to know how it's doing on Hulu. Since Me too. We don't really Me too. know. Yeah. Uh, and would it have been a theatrical success given that, you know, Searchlight isn't really doing that right now? 
uh, because it's so a the funny other movie. Searchlight movie is um, Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, and uh, that of course debuted at Sundance virtually, but it was a hit and it got picked up by Searchlight for Hulu, and there was a lot of talk about. Um, Emma Thompson, who's very good in it, very brave and forthright in it, uh, being up for some kind of awards consideration. Well, that awards consideration will be Emmys because it's going straight to Hulu. And they're not making any pretense of a theatrical um, opening for it. And, and the Academy does require a theatrical uh, release now, again. You know, Post-pandemic rules are back. Pre-pandemic rules are back, in effect. She may have a better shot with the Emmys anyway, because given the release date of this movie and the fact that it is very much a pandemic movie, mostly it's set in a hotel room, it's a different very much kind so. of campaign. And they rise like above those challenges very well, um, I have to say. Sophie Hyde, Australian director, um, did, did very well with it. But um, I was I had fun talking to Emma because she she really uh, we've talked to, talked about this back at the, in January. She really deals with a vulnerable older woman and in a no holds barred kind of way and shows uh, her need for for real intimacy her fears uh, the fact that she never had an orgasm but then at the end of this thing after she's sort of gone through uh, the gauntlet of what she needs to to, to figure out with with the sex worker that she hires play, played by Daryl McCormick who's very very That's sensitive very sense. good breakout um, she stands in front of a mirror. 63-year-old Emma like Thompson stands in front of a mirror and shows her body to the seconds. world. It's a good and shot. It's, but I, it's I, extraordinary. I, we all experience that cold, and I wonder if it's like, has that shot, should that shot come as a surprise to people? I mean, it's not, you know. I think there are very few actresses who would have been it's willing impressive to do that. that she does it, but I'm, what I'm saying is it's like. If any surprising that she does it that's part of the narrative and, and it has become a big selling point that she does it but you know it's it's fleeting i don't know that it's a selling point well, i think it's a talking point it. it's yeah. a talking point yeah. because it's so extraordinary we women <laughs> are uh brainwashed from birth to be critical of our own bodies and to and to not think that we're acceptable as right. uh, that even women who are gorgeous, even actresses who make who work uh, all the time to make themselves as beautiful as possible, are are looking at themselves with a critical eye. And as you get older, I mean, what you know, not to put too fine fine a point on it, gravity starts to kick in, and and she shows you her real body. It hasn't been altered. It hasn't. She's worked out. She's fit. She looks good to to most of us. But um, no, it it's, took it's a lot of bravery moment in the movie. No, no question about it. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting how that has become the talking point, because there's a lot that builds up to that moment, too. That's more sort of about the psychological hurdle that she's dealing with. And of course, you can't distill that to a soundbite in the same way. But I was looking at the teaser for Blonde today with Anna Darmus, yeah. and I'll be really curious to see how people talk about that kind of thing. You know, it's like that's going to be this conversation on steroids. This sort of, I mean, it's not about the aging body, but about sort of the objectification of women in the Absolutely. public eye. And they're going to lean hard. I love dollars the are going to be behind that. I love the teaser, actually, because uh, so the word is that that's going to go to Venice, along with a couple of other Naturally. Netflix movies like yeah. like Bardo and the Inuritu and everything. But um, I'm 
I love the idea that she's waiting for Marilyn to show up. You know, she's looking in the mirror and she's miserable and crying and, and distraught. And she's waiting for that magic moment where she can become Marilyn and go. I've heard go some pretty brutal stuff about this movie from people who got an early look. I mean, we said before it was supposed to be can wanted it like a year ago and that didn't work out. Uh, but it it does sound like it really gets into some of the harsh stuff that happened to her, including the way that JFK treated her. So I'm very curious to see, you know, just how controversial this movie is. You know, so there's so there's so well, Dominic is so definitely charming. setting it up, but he's, yeah. he says it's going to offend everybody. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, that's this, these are very carefully rehearsed lines. One of course. So we'll no, see how part of the marketing campaign. No question exactly. about it. Exactly. So what else is going on in terms of the fall? Telluride's coming up. I had a story this week about the guest directors. Uh, Kantemir and Kira, the, this, uh, the Russian couple who made Beanpole and um, Closeness and Unclenching the Fist. They don't know what their, their lineup's going to be, but it's, they're two, these two they young They always Russian have guest stars. directors, so that's yeah, appropriate so, for this year. Yeah, and I think it's great because they, they got out of the country so they can, they can uh, speak more freely. So they're leaving the country permanently? Well, we, they don't know yet, but they, they have made it to Los Angeles and they, they did credit Julie Hunsinger at Telluride with helping them get there. And actually, Julie was the one who, who told me this was in the works back at, when we saw her at the Oscars. So this has been a long time coming. And it sounds like they're going to try to keep their work going as with with U.S. funding and U.S. setting and uh, U.S. sets and so forth. So it's a good development after all these conversations about, you know, what what can you do if you're a Russian filmmaker and the rest of the world doesn't necessarily want to curate your work? Well, these filmmakers decided they agree and they're going to work outside of the country. But, so I, uh, I ended up um, uh, going to this event that they throw, that they've always, they historically have thrown um, every summer. So what happens is that the film festival programmers come into LA around now and they set up a lot of screenings and and they meet with the different uh, studio heads and they find out what's going to be available and what's going to be uh, screenable when and so forth. And so uh, New York had an event a couple weeks ago and this was the Telluride one up on the roof at, Le at the L'Hermitage Hotel and, and they invite all the friends of the festival. So you would have been right at home, Eric. Um, <laughs> producers, filmmakers, crowd. Marcus Ronaldo, Ronaldo, Marcus Green, and, and uh, you know, Brian Fogel, who's doing the, so Ronaldo, Marcus Green is doing um, the um, story of Bob Marley, which should be interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, Good follow-up to King Richard. Yeah, and then, and then you have, um, Brian Fogel was there, he's doing a, a sequel to Icarus. He's basically following up on everything that's happened since. Sounds like uh, a real crowd pleaser. That one. No, no, there's a lot going on. Russia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Evil, evil Vlad, uh, you know, is still part of the story. He's good at um, finding stuff that really stirs up discussion. I mean, when he did the dissident on the Khashoggi thing, nobody even wanted to release it, which I thought really hit on something important. So curious now he's he's war he's worried that people are still uh, avoiding uh, political uh, subjects, but we'll see. Um, and and you know, it's just fun to see the you know the the searchlight folks and and uh, Netflix and and all of that you know all, all circulate and hanging out and a lot of people who hadn't seen each other for a long time in yeah. person yeah well i mean it'll be good to be back in the fall rhythm of things i mean there's been so much instability tell your ride happened last year and i thought it went really well 
Venice was the only fall festival that never really changed its formula that has been consistently they've been along. they've been benefiting from the calendar year in a way that Sundance and um, Toronto have not now I have booked um, uh, my flights I've, I'm going to Telluride Toronto and New York uh, at this point so a pretty powerful trifecta uh, you're like one of those fall movies that, it's going to happen all the hot spots. speaking of your friend the Safties uh benny shows up in obi-wan which i've been catching ah, up with yes. obi-wan kenobi the tv discussion of, of this week's episode yeah no so i i really I, I, I i'm a fan of ewan mcgregor i always have been he's just one of those people i like you know i i just i've always liked him and 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 uh i didn't care particularly for the old for that trilogy of Star Wars movies where he played Obi-Wan as a much younger man and, and Sam Jackson was a, another Jedi and, and uh, Liam Neeson and, and, you know, and Natalie Portman uh, was Princess uh, Padme. But um, the, the beginning of Obi-Wan Kenobi takes you back through that history, reminds you of everybody, puts you in the timeline and then plops you into this world that's very similar to the kind of world that you've already become familiar with in Mandalorian and um, Boba Fett. So I am happy to be there, perfectly happy to be there, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. To be honest, I'm kind of struggling with it. I mean, I want to get through it. How far have you gotten? I think it's hilarious that Benny Safdie is a Jedi, for sure. <laughs> I mean, not because they're my buddies or anything, but just because it's it's, it's a little distracting. But, He's a good um, actor. He yeah. is a good actor, but it, it's something about that context for that role is, is a little odd. But also just, I think a lot of the casting decisions, there's a young girl who's supposed to be Princess Leia. I don't think she's very good. And uh, there's just like little People moments. People seem to react badly to her as though she's obnoxious. And I, I'm responding to her as though she's a little entitled princess. But and that's annoying, and it's sort of no, it's, it's the presumably Star she's going to be brought down a peg at some point. Uh, you know? I don't know. It's a little clunky in parts, but I, you know, I I appreciate the spectacle of it. And Ewan McGregor himself seems like he's just been living with this character all this time. So obviously, he's a very natural fit. Going it's back fun to see him on talk shows making fun of green screen screen acting. Though there was one show he was on where he he demonstrated how he got onto some. You know, they don't get onto real CGI animals as they look in the film. They get onto some, you know, sawhorse or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he gets on backwards. You know, and yeah. It's 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 fun to to you know because they really are no, it's... operating in a very virtual virtual universe. It is comical. I mean, if you didn't get a chance to see the bubble, the Jet Apatow movie that was sort of set in a Jurassic Park like uh, blockbuster shoot, it, there's a lot of funny jokes about that where you see like ridiculous CGI scenes of actors screaming and then they cut to what it actually looks like and they're just sort of like dangling from wires and flopping around and that's what a lot of actors say it makes performing on these things so ridiculous and they don't know what the end result is going to look like so I have to tell the you the other though, thing that's sort of risky for for um, uh, McGregor which I'm interested in is is that that sort of cat blue thing where you're sort of beaten down and 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 not all entire he's supposed to be obi-wan kenobi he's supposed to be the great jedi of all time yeah but he's and screwed he up has i to get come it. back he has to come back into yeah. owning i mean that. this is the part part of the larger argument people have been making about these star wars prequels like you know boba fett became an iconic character on after a few scenes in the star wars universe and now he's they've added so much more to that and for some people 
that's ruined the character. Like, do you really need all of these these details? And then you go back and watch, you know, episode four or whatever, and it's like, is Anakin or is Obi-Wan, like, are these characters going to seem as mysterious and awe-inspiring now that we know all of the, this uh, petty stuff in their backstories or the fact that they're not, you know, the characters we once knew them to be or whatever. What's I think interesting, that's interesting to challenge. me is that if you take them into the television universe and this, into the series universe, you, you, you have an opportunity to do what you're talking about, which is, is explore in, in more depth. And you don't have the stakes that you have with a two hour theatrical film. And you can see that Kathleen Kennedy and the Lucasfilm people are going all in on the television series and they haven't made it another two hour movie. You know, yeah. it's not happening. No, and there's a reason for that. High it's risk and, and questionable reward. But I, I have to tell you, I mean, I, I was trying to get into Obi-Wan. I will try to catch up to you and talk about it more. But then I realized I had two episodes of Barry left. <laughs> and I really wanted to finish Barry, and it was so worth it. That show is extraordinary. Bill Hader seems to be learning how to be a filmmaker through it. And there's one season left. I mean, the cliffhanger in this one is astonishing. Have, have you finished it? Oh, my God. I have not. So good. So there's a I motorcycle scene that he shot in there that's like some of the best motorcycle acts. You, know, you don't see stuff like that in like Fast and Furious because he has room to kind of explore and, and, and mess around. So anyway, I will catch up on Obi-Wan. I expect you to catch up on Barry next week. I don't even know what's happening. We'll have maybe. So I'm going to see or... the old man. I think that breaks ah, today. Yes, the new John so I'm going to check that show. out and, uh, and continue, um, continue with Obi-Wan. And uh, what else am I looking? I saw Brian and Charles. Did you see that yet? Not yet. That just won the Sundance London. So I'm curious about it. It's a focus features pickup out of Sundance in January. Well, Comedy we can talk sorts. about that next okay. week if you, if All right. you see it. Are you All right, see more it? to come. I'll, I'll do it for you, Anne. Oh, <laughs> if no. You think it's worth <laughs> Don't it. do it for me. <laughs> All right, have a good weekend. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you.